This is the Maverick Minister Deranged Story of Jesus podcast series. Hello, I'm Mike Davis. And I'm Grace Smith. And we want to welcome you to the sixth episode of the Deranged Story of Jesus podcasts. So far in the story of Jesus, we have heard from or heard about several of his followers and about people whose lives were positively and even miraculously changed by their experiences and relationships with him. But as we move toward the end of this story, it's time for us to meet someone who was not one of his fans. And this someone was so strongly opposed and threatened by his message and mission that he opposed him at every turn and ultimately was responsible for his torture and death. Seriously? We've got a bad guy as a guest on the show today? Well, that's not exactly the way I was planning to introduce him, but yeah, I guess you could say that he's a bad guy. So are you doing the interview, or am I doing it? Ah, well, you are. Okay, so who is this guy? His name is Caiaphas and he was the high priest at the temple in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. I think it will be good to get his perspective on Jesus and the story. And I'm doing the interview to get his perspective? Well, yes. (laughs) This should be interesting. Welcome, Mr. Caiaphas. It's so good of you to join us today. I know that many of our listeners have heard of you and are anxious to hear your perspective on Jesus today. Your name is Grace, yes? Yes, my name is Grace. My name is Joseph Ben Caiaphas, not Mr. Caiaphas. You may address me simply as Caiaphas if you don't mind. Yes, sir. Caiaphas. Toda. That means thank you. So, your listeners are interested in hearing my perspective on Jesus, who you call the Christ, the Savior of the world, the Son of God? Why? It seems clear that your world has already made up its mind about the Galilean fool. He was fanatical about destroying our tradition and bringing down the wrath of the Roman Empire on the entire nation of Israel. What can I say that will be of any value to you or your close-minded listeners? Caiaphas, we do want to hear your perspective. We want to better understand you and those like you who found Jesus to be such a clear danger that he had to die for the things he said and did. All right. In that case, I will give you my perspective. I will tell you how we tried over and over again to save him from himself. And why? When he completely refused to compromise, even in the smallest ways, we had no choice but to do what we did. First... Let me say that I am a Levite and a member of a very well-educated and wealthy family from Judea. I served in the priesthood and in the public service for Israel my entire life. With my father-in-law, Annas, who was my predecessor as high priest, by the way, we worked tirelessly for the good of our nation. 
My only dealings with your Jesus were related to my position as high priest. And my 18-year tenure was the longest and most successful of any high priest during the Roman occupation. The reason for that? It was my commitment to building and maintaining a constructive working relationship with the Roman authority. It was my responsibility to preserve our religious traditions and make certain that our way of life was not jeopardized by anything or anyone who might provoke the Romans to restrict or interfere in our way of life. That responsibility is what brought Jesus the Galilean to my attention. It was not that I hadn't heard of him before. There was much talk, even in Jerusalem, about a miraculous healer and mesmerizing preacher who was gathering a large following and making quite a name for himself in the province of Galilee. He sounded interesting. Some people were calling him a prophet and maybe even the Messiah. It all sounded very positive until a group of Galilean Pharisees came to me and asked me to intervene because this Jesus was challenging some of the basic doctrines of Torah. He was doing things like healing people on the Sabbath, eating with tax collectors and sinners, and defying the Pharisees and the synagogue leaders almost everywhere he went. Even though I espouse no political party as high priest, I do tend to be more open to the Sadducees than to the Pharisees. Had this been happening in my jurisdiction and the Pharisees had come to me, I would have definitely become involved. But as long as he stayed in Galilee, like John the Baptist was, he was Herod's problem, not mine. Unfortunately, the foolish man did not stay in Galilee. He crossed into Judea near the Jordan River and began his healing and preaching there. Immediately, he started to gather large crowds and begin to increase the number of his disciples and followers. So I sent some men to join the crowds and keep me informed about exactly what he was doing and what he was saying. According to their reports, the healings were impressive. But in Judea, we had many who healed and drove out demons in the name of God. So I didn't see his healings as a cause for concern. But I became very troubled when I was told that he was talking about the coming of something called the kingdom of God, with the Son of Man sitting on his glorious throne and his followers judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Even with his miracles, for me, he did not meet the criteria as a Messiah. He may have even been a descendant of the great King David, but he was from Galilee, not Judea, and he had not done anything to build up the temple. He had not done anything to call people to follow Torah or to seek to make temple worship the true focus of all people. But his large following were beginning to speak of him as a possible Messiah, and his talk about a new kingdom was something the Romans would not take lightly. He had crossed the line from being an irritating nuisance to becoming a danger to our nation and way of life. If he continued in this way, it was clear that I would have to take action to neutralize him as a threat to the nation. So Caiaphas, can you talk a little more about what specifically Jesus said and did that made him such a threat to the nation? Can I talk about specifics? Of course I can. I can talk about how he specifically threatened our religious traditions, how he threatened the temple and our safety from the Romans. When he first came to Jerusalem, he had the audacity to begin teaching in the temple courts like the temple belonged to him. 
He did not introduce himself to any of us in authority. He did not ask permission. He showed no credentials as a rabbi or teacher of Torah. He just started to gather a crowd and to speak to them about God and about how to live their lives. Immediately, the Levitical police came and told me. So I gathered the rest of the chief priest and some of the elders of the people, and we confronted him. I asked him, Who do you think you are? By what authority are you teaching here? And who has given you authority to teach anywhere? His lack of respect and his chutzpah was beyond anything I had ever encountered in the temple. He was flippant. He was rude. When he replied to me, the high priest, he said, I will ask you a question, and if you answer correctly, then I'll tell you by whose authority I am teaching. How dare he speak to us and to me that way? But the people were all watching, and so I allowed him to ask his question. He said, did John's baptism come from God, or was it just something he made up in his own mind? I realized that I should never have allowed him to ask any question. We were surrounded by the crowd, and more and more people in the temple were gathering to see what was going on. So I circled the other priests around me and asked them, What do we say? One said, If we say it came from God, then he will ask, Why didn't you believe and follow John? Another said, But if we say it came from John's own mind, then the people will be in an uproar against us because they believe that John was a prophet sent by God. So I turned to this Jesus and I said, We do not know the source of John's baptism. He smiled and then he said, Then I won't tell you by whose authority I am doing these things. And he went back to talking to the crowd like we were not even there. We just stood there for a few moments we were feeling stupid and we were looking worse. Then I turned on my heels and I quickly left, followed by the others who had come out with me. I was livid and in my own mind, I decided that this man's insult to me, to the temple and to Israel would not stand. So I sent a group of teachers of the law and Pharisees to follow him and confront this Jesus wherever he was teaching in the temple. Just as he had done to us, I instructed them to trap him in his own words so that he could be discredited and maybe even give us a reason for him to be arrested. They first tried to catch him by asking him to comment on whether or not it was right for us to pay taxes to the Romans. I was sure he would say it wasn't right and that it was an affront to God. Once he had said that in public, I would have the Romans arrest him. But he didn't say that. He just asked someone to give him a coin used for paying the tax. And then he said, whose image is on the coin? My Pharisees and my teachers had no choice but to answer that the emperor's image and inscription were on the coin. So he said, give back to Caesar what is to Caesar, and give to God what is to God. No matter what they tried, questions about marriage, divorce, the great commandment, the bind points of Torah, even messianic prophecies, he simply outwitted them all. And then he would tell a story that made us all look foolish and made us all look self-centered to the people who were listening to him. It was very frustrating to try and deal with him. But finally, 
he did something that left me no choice but to end this Galilean threat to our nation. On one particular day, he went to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, just outside the city of Jerusalem. There he got a donkey with his young colt, and his disciples placed their cloaks on it, and Jesus sat on it, and he started riding toward the gate of the city. Caiaphas, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm a little confused. Why would riding a donkey toward Jerusalem be so important, and how is that a threat to the nation? It may not seem to be of any importance to you, but the prophet Zechariah wrote that the Messiah, the new king of Israel, would come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey with its coat beside it, like the great king David of old. This would be the symbol of the beginning of the Messiah's reign as king of Israel in Jerusalem. As this Jesus approached the city gate, a very large crowd gathered to watch him pass, and they spread their cloaks on the road ahead of him and waved branches and spread them on the road as well. And all the while they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered the city, everyone gathered to see what was happening. They all asked, Who is this? And the people in the crowd answered, This is Jesus, the great prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. He might as well have them answer, This is the Messiah, the new king of Israel. Then, to make matters worse, he and his crowd came into the temple, and they entered the outer courts, where the vendors exchanged the Roman coins, with the emperor's head engraved on them, for the temple coins, which are suitable for buying sacrifices because they have no grave in the image on them. Suddenly, he began to turn over the tables and the stalls of the money changes, and he pushed them, and he drove them away, screaming, My father's house is a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. My father's house? How dare he call our temple his father's house? When the other priests and I got there, the crowd was cheering and children were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. It was loud and getting out of control. I went to him and I said, Young man, this is getting out of hand. Tell these people to stop shouting before this becomes a riot and the Romans come into our temple to break it up. He looked at me and smiled that same condescending smile again. And in the very same flippant tone of voice he had used before, he said, I tell you, even if I could quiet them down, the very stones around us would be crying out just as loudly. That was the moment when I realized that he cared nothing for the safety of our nation or for the preservation of our tradition and our way of life. He had no compromise or willingness to work with us for the common good in him at all. The only solution to the harm he would ultimately cause was for him to be eliminated. And even if he was a prophet of God, which I sincerely doubted, it was my responsibility to see that our nation remained safe. After all, other prophets before him had paid with their lives when their message threatened the nation. But eliminating him would not be an easy task. He was very popular with the people, and wherever he went, there always seemed to be a crowd around him. We needed to get to him when he was alone or with his small group of followers. Then we could arrest him quietly and bring him to trial quickly so he could be turned over to the Romans 
since they were the only ones who could execute anyone. I'm sorry to interrupt again, but if Jesus was breaking the law and deserved to be arrested, why did you need to arrest him when he was alone? Wouldn't it be clear to the people that he was doing something wrong and deserved to be stopped? My dear Grace, this had nothing to do with Jesus breaking the law. This had to do with what the people thought Jesus could and would do. Are you really so naive as to believe that people can understand what they really need? They thought he was their savior. They were going to make him their Messiah. Whether he was the Messiah or not, they were going to make him their new king. And if I were allowed that to happen, it would be the end of us all. They had no idea the consequences of your Jesus leading them to rise up against the Romans. They were looking for a hero, and Jesus was their answer. It was up to me to save them from themselves, even if it cost the foolish Galilean his life. Yes, I conspired to have him betrayed by one of his disciples, who was more than willing to do it for thirty pieces of silver. I believe his name was Judas. And then when he and his twelve followers were alone in the Garden of Gethsemane, just outside of the city, I had Jesus arrested by the temple guards and brought him to the house of my father-in-law, Annas, for interrogation. Meanwhile, I convened a nighttime trial by the Sanhedrin in the temple courts, and we declared him guilty of violating Sabbath law, threatening to destroy the temple, blasphemy, and claiming to be the Messiah. Then I had him turned over to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea to be tried for claiming to be the king of the Jews and for sedition against the Roman Empire. <laughs> that Pilate, he was a very poor and inept governor. He was reluctant to do what needed to be done because he claimed that he could find no crime that Jesus had committed which would be worthy of crucifixion. But once there was an angry screaming crowd calling for Jesus' blood, Pilate came around to our way of thinking. It always amazes me that a crowd can be so very fickle. One day a person can be a messiah, and everyone loves and admires him. But when that messiah doesn't deliver what they want, the crowd hates him and begins to yell for his crucifixion on the next day. And so, that was how Jesus, the threat to our nation, was eliminated. Was it my finest hour? No. Am I proud of what I had to do to protect our tradition and way of life? No. Did it have to happen that way? No. But in many ways, your Jesus chose what happened to him, and I am convinced that he knew what was coming all along. So regardless of what kind of monster your history has made me out to be, I simply did what had to be done. And if I had it to do over again, I would do the same thing. I fulfilled my responsibility to protect our tradition and our way of life. So, shalom, Grace. And shalom to your listeners. Shalom, Caiaphas. And thank you for being with us today. You have certainly given us a lot to think about, and while we may not all agree with you, 
We value what you have shared with us and we value your perspective on the events of the Jesus story. For all of our listeners, we want to thank you for being part of this episode of the Deranged Story of Jesus podcast series. We are coming to the end of this story, which means that we only have a few more episodes to go. So please stay tuned for the rest of the Deranged Story of Jesus and for the next series in the Maverick Minister podcasts. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.